você disser que eu desafino amor. Good day, Emily Reese, classical music and jazz, extraordinary radio host. How are you today? I'm fantastic. Uh, it's nice to see you, as always, Jill Mott, sommelier, who teaches me about fermented beverages with alcohol in them. And fermented foods, too, really. Well, I was, yeah, that's a little bit maybe too much credit, because when you're like fermented beverages, well, coffee's fermented, so that was a nice caveat with alcohol. Yeah. We we don't really talk much about a few different types of teas, although we could. Yeah. Someday on the program, I I love me some tea and I love me some coffee. But I mean, wine and beer are just a little, slightly more fun. Yeah, just slightly. Cocktails. cocktails. (laughs) (laughs) We're like, and spirits. And spirits. And today, what we're talking about is really fun as well. I'm going to be talking about music, a style of music that is tremendously digestible and just something that you just want especially in the summertime. I mean, I know we've already talked about summer music, so I don't really want to imply that, but I just mean it's kind of like a refreshing wash of something that you just want more and more of. I'm going to be talking about Bossa Nova and a Brazilian singer-guitarist named Joao Gilberto. How about you? Well, so it sounds like you're going to do the audible version of glut, 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 glut. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm going to be talking about that wine concept otherwise known as glue glue yes and talk about why i like it why i don't what does it mean where did the term come from i also want to touch on you know we'll taste obviously a wine that is extremely laden riddled with the glue glue factor Um, and it's a red wine which it's a warm day here in minneapolis and people might say why red even if it's got a little chill because it's glue 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 (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I cannot wait to drink this. First of all, the color is absolutely gorgeous and makes me want to drink it just by itself, just the color. Now, in in my world, I think it really depends on who you talk to about glue glue wines, whether they, and just to clarify, glue glue means like you can gulp it. Like it's literally, you're drinking it like gulp, 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 right? (laughs) And so the wine usually is lower alcohol. And I'll talk about more about exactly what a glue glue wine is, kind of some overarching parameters that they seem to all touch on. But it is an actual thing. It is an actual thing, but it's, it's a concept and it's something that you know, some people love, some people love to hate on, whatever. Is is there anybody out there that doesn't, I, I shouldn't say doesn't like bossa nova because there's plenty of bad bossa nova out there, but yeah. specifically Gilberto? I mean, I'm sure it's a very specific style. So, I mean, it certainly can't be everyone's taste, but it's... it's it should just, be. I know. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a very specific style of playing and singing. And with, you know, certain rhythms and a certain just like tone. And it, so I can see how people might not like it. It might not be their cup of tea. Um, but I just, so, oh, it just sends me into like relaxation. It sends me to the beach, to the, just to the, all to the like chill, cool, relaxed, like you want to be when you're just glue gluing. Well, that, I was just going to say that's a, a perfect example of like what this wine is meant to do. It's almost the antithesis of, you know, it, you could drink glue glue at a beach. You do usually have glue glue, meaning the right 
kind of place for Google a lot of times is like when you're hanging out with your friends and if you want to talk about wine, sure, but it's sort of the antithesis of that very bougie wine, swirl in the glass, what does it smell like, all the adjectives. It's like the polar opposite of that. So I could see how there's an awesome parallel here. Okay, well, let's just drink some because all this talk is making me thirsty. pour it and let's drink it. (laughs) So the... The concept behind, I, I guess I'll, I'll start, if you don't mind, because we have this in our glass. There's a term called von de soif. It's basically wine that goes down the hatch. And they're sort of one and the same, von de soif and glu-glu. And glu-glu is sort of more latched onto the natural wine world. You know, we're not having like 17% alcohol Cabernets from Napa Valley and calling them that are $400 and calling them glu-glu. You know, yeah. It's but there are some producers out there that make not so natural wines that are a little bit more of like a glue glue fashion. But most people wouldn't argue that it's usually relegated to like a natural wine sort of style, right? Low intervention. We could say Chacolina, the kind of spritzy white wine from northern Spain, is glue glue. But in the end, it's not really made like say this wine is where. Minimal intervention, native yeast fermentation, low sulfur additions, sometimes no sulfur additions depending on the producer. Um, and so those are kind of, it does float around more in the natural wine world than not. Okay. Um, so that's the first thing. And we see this term come up. It's not new. You, you can look online and there are people that are like, I heard about it in like 2014. And you're like, no, Google has been around since the 1600s. Whoa. The playwright, the French playwright, who was born in, I think, the early 1600s, Moliere, he was born in Paris, and he wrote a play called A Doctor Despite Himself. And in that play, there's a phrase that says, how sweet they are, pretty bottle, how sweet they are, your little (laughs) glue-glue. That's when we first see it. I think 1666, if my memory is on par with this hot day. Chin-chin. Cheers. The bottle's already gone, Emily. What happened? I'm <laughs> no, just kidding. I glue glued it all. What do you What do you smell besides? You said you loved how it looked. Yeah, it's just a really pretty red. It I is. Mean, it's I, like a bright cherry color. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think about how it smells? It smells like fruit, mm-hmm. which you know I think is probably what you would want with a glue glue. You would want it to smell like refreshing like that, you know? Yep, it smells It smells like it's going to be refreshing. That's yes. exactly right. And yes. you're right about fruit, a little bit of minerals as well. Mm-hmm. And what about the palate here? I mean, like strawberry, cherry. Just easy. Yeah. That's going to be a word, I should just say cubed right now. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm going to say that word often, and that's a quintessential part of glue-glue wines, as it were. And they go down all too easy. Like I find with glue-glue wines when I'm in the mood for that, they usually, like I look and I'm like, oops. Yeah. Like I've had two glasses and... Well, it's a liter bottle for one thing. It's a whole liter. Well, they say that because a 750 is not enough. That's why they make it in a liter. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes the importer or the producer will say, for one person. (laughs) I mean, you know, it's a little much, but we'll we'll go back to format and importers in, in a little while. Can you ease my ear with some easy, not easy music, but some um, relaxing music? Yes. So Bossa Nova is Brazilian, and Bossa Nova started in Brazil in the late 50s and early 60s. Boasio. Boasio. João Gilberto was born in 1931, 
And Joao Gilberto is kind of considered the father of bossa nova, even though he wasn't a composer. He was just a performer, just quote unquote. He was a fantastic guitarist and had a very distinct voice. Let's just go ahead and hear him sing something right now on his, uh, uh, with his guitar. Okay, I'm going to make sure to put wine in my mouth as yeah. we're doing that. We haven't even gotten 20 seconds in and I've already had four glasses of wine. <laughs> So this is a tune, he just, he just said it. Um, Chega de Sodaja. That's the best I can do. Chega de Saudade. Chega. Chega. Chega de Saudade. Yes. Yeah. But they really swallow the inner D, like Chega de Saudade. That's kind of how they say it. Uh, but anyway, that song in and of itself is a, a one of the very first famous bossa nova hits and was recorded a year earlier than that by a woman. How did he make it more famous than she did? Or is that not really the case? It just depends on who you're, what you're looking for. It's not really the case. I think what made Joao Gilberto so famous, and uh, they call him, I think, the master in Brazil. He's considered the master. Is he really did kind of invent a new style of playing guitar that hadn't been done before? Okay, kind of like Django Reinhardt, only a different style, right? Okay. If you think of Django Reinhardt as being the father of you know jazz manouche or gypsy jazz, uh, hot club jazz, whatever you want to call that. And you can hear, you know how. That little Django thing I just played, you know, clearly there's just more activity for one thing. Mm -hmm. The guitar is way more central. But with Joao, he's playing a nylon string guitar and he's just kind of picking with his fingers in the background underneath his vocals. Só tenho medo da falseta, mas adoro a Julieta, como adoro a papai do céu. Quero seu amor, minha santinha, mas só não quero que me faça de bolinha de papel. And he's, he's doing the bass too. He's like bum 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 Yeah, with his thumb. Well, at its simplest, bossa nova can be thought of as one plaintive voice with one guitar. And Joao recorded many albums like that. Now, there are a lot of bossa nova, bossa nova albums that aren't like that, like one of the most famous Bossa Nova albums that has saxophonist Stan Getz on it, and we'll cool. talk about that one in a minute. But most importantly, what happens is the guitar is finger-picked, nylon string guitar. Even if there is a larger ensemble, there's almost always still a guitar playing a Bossa Nova rhythm in the background. And a vocal that, in Joao's instance, was very quiet kind of demure almost, and no vibrato, which is opposite of what was popular in Brazilian singing at the time, 
with samba and all of that kind of singing uh, was much more of an operatic style. Okay. And with Joao, it's very simple, very thin almost. And he also really wanted to have two microphones, which was not standard at all at the time in recording. He wanted to have a microphone on his face and a microphone on the guitar, which was not standard at all. So that's another reason why it just sounded different, Mm -hmm. you know? So uh, so let's hear him sing a little more. Yeah, please. This is an album from the 70s. This is considered his white album. Like the Beatles had their white album. This is Joao's white album. What's it called? Joao Gilberto. But there are many there are many self-titled albums of his, so this is the one from 1973. <laughs> Minimal percussion. And he is playing the bass with his thumb, as you can hear. And when he holds those long notes, no vibrato. that I'm not alone in a room with this playing in a bottle of glue glue because the bottle of glue glue would be three quarters gone by the end of the album I mean this goes and it would just perfectly. all be a happy sad day I know. it'd be great and really scary this but awesome. is one of my favorite pairings we've had oh, in a while this is so good It just sounds like he's just talking to you, mm-hmm. just right next to you. He's right next to you. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, almost like, and that's what I think is so sexy about this, right? Is because it's almost like he's singing to one. He's singing to me, mm-hmm. you know, and he's right there, and he's like, maybe not trying to seduce me, maybe, but yeah. either way, it's a very intimate experience. Yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Joel Gilberto. <laughs> Come on. All right. Well, you mentioned thin and you mentioned simple. Yeah. And I want to get back to that in a moment because I do think that it sounds simple, even though if we were to sit and dissect, I think it's anything but, right? It's sort of like the carbonic maceration that happens in a lot of goo goo wines that intracellular fermentation that makes it kind of decreases tannins, decreases acid and makes for some really fun, pretty floral fruity esters. It makes a wine sometimes seem more simple depending on how much is used. But in the end, that's an extremely complex chemical situation that's happening, right? And so it's interesting that it does sound simple because we have basically three things going on and we everybody could probably tap the rhythm and probably 
But at the same time, it's like, yeah, whoa, it's it's like anything <laughs> but simple. Um, and not not to c- contradict you, but oh, you yeah. know what I mean, right? Like, I do. Okay, I do. Back to glue glue. <laughs> okay. I mentioned 1660s. It's also the word glue glue is in a very popular. Jesus, Emily Reese just tanked about four ounces. That's nah. It's amazing. That was maybe two ounces. Hold on, ready. <laughs> it was not as much. I don't think it was as much as you think it was. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Ms. Emily Reese. Okay. And actually, that's perfect. Wait. Actually, that's perfect because there's a popular drinking song in French. Yes. Still to this day, people, you know, will probably break it out at a bachelor party or whatever. Yeah. Local tavern with 80-year-olds. And the end of the drinking, it talks about like, you know, fill the glasses like up and down into your cheeks and to your sex and to your mouth and to whatever. And it ends with aiglou, 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 meaning... (laughs) And glue, and glue, and glue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So obviously the term glue glue is French, and it basically is mimicking the sound that when you pour wine out of the bottle, it makes this sound. Right? So that's glue glue is meant to mimic that. And in English, it directly translates to glug glug. But we see it all over popular culture in France since the 1600s. I shouldn't say all over, but it's around, right? Yeah. And... You fast forward 300 years, there's a restaurant in Paris, a natural wine bar called Glue. There's a, not fully dedicated to natural wine, but there's a magazine called Glue Glue out of New York. And like, why has this term become part of our lexicon, you may ask? Because in the early 2000s, I remember when I was sort of coming up in wine, we were in the heat of the, no pun intended after you listen to this entire argument, we were coming off a moment where Wines that were popular and getting the selling for a lot of money and getting a lot of points were wines that were, you know, 14 plus percent alcohol, lathered in a lot of new oak, a lot of additions, extract, and basically, you know, heavy kind of blousy wines that weren't refreshing. They competed with food. It was really hard to pair them with anything. Usually they came with a price tag to match. And Google wines, when people started to make them in, in kind of the natural wine camp, I remember a tale from someone that I know who was in Beaujolais and another person who was in the Loire who like was hanging out with a winemaker and they tasted all of their really good wines, not necessarily heavy over oaked. But then they got to one wine and they were like, oh my gosh, I could just chug this. And the winemaker was like, yeah, I mean, this is like glue glue. This is like what we have after our day in the fields. Hmm. And so it was literally the opposite of all these 14, 15, 16% alcohol wines. And it became like, a wine that sort of, I don't know, symbolized something like the opposite of expensive. It was the opposite of, you know, being hoity-toity. It was kind of the the wine for the campesino or campesina. And it was also like delicious and normally naturally crafted. It was, yes, refreshing and delicious in those things, but it was almost in a way that was sort of like a middle finger to sure. the other style of wine that, that I'm speaking to. And people use it nowadays to explain wine. Like I know that I've been guilty for better or worse of being at a bar and you know I'm, I'm across the table from someone or across the bar from someone. And I use, I'm like, yeah, this wine you know, smells like this and it's from this really cool winemaker. And man, it's like pure glue glue. And a lot of people know what that means, you know? And, and it's sort of like, some folks will say, wow, I'm in the mood for that. Sign me up. And some people will say, well, I want something a little more like can last me, right? Because they don't want to drink it that fast. Yeah. That's the problem with glue glue wines is you can kind of 
Yeah. You know? So if I went into a natural wine shop and I said, I, I'm looking for some glue glue, do you think, what are the, I mean, do you think it's like 80% of people would know what I'm talking about? 20% of people would know? Like, no, 100% of people would okay. know. If you're at a natural <laughs> wine shop, okay. 100% of people would know. Now, if okay. you're at a bigger box place or a conve- smaller place, but that focuses more on conventional wines, I'd say you're probably batting about 40%, sure. maybe okay. less that gotcha. people that use that. And I, I, you know, I love the term. I think it's fun. Mm-hmm. I will talk about why I don't like the term in mere moments, but it is crazy how it's become part of like, it's a just, well, it's not crazy, but how it's become like such a descriptor, you know? And and also that it's like driving markets. I mean, this wine that we have here, it is a La Boutanche label. I'll explain what that means. But importers are filling entire containers with wines like this, meaning a container is between 800 and 1200 cases of wine. It's a lot of Ooh, wine, yeah. but these wines usually are cheap and people love them and they can sell for a relatively good value here. Yeah, For price point, you can get a lot of decent natural-ish juice for that price. So it's incredible how Glue Glue is in some markets driving the market, you know, for yeah. like, and, and becoming like, they call it tastemaker, you know, becoming like what people start to write about in Bon Appetit and what people start to write about. It's it's kind of an awesome concept, really, that it can become so popular. And really, it's just like this little thing for the campesinos Cute. and me and yeah. you. And, yeah, exactly. And all of us. <laughs> yes. I need more. Yeah, you do. Aos pés da Santa Cruz Você se ajoelhou Em nome de Jesus Um grande amor Você jurou I love the fact that La Boutanche, Glue Glue, Litrona, wines like that, the Campesino, has kind of driven the market in some ways. Mm-hmm. Is it safe to say that Joao Gilberto drove the market for Bassanova? Like, did people start to copy him? Like, how did that... Yes, work. there were a, a few things that kind of happened all at once. Um, the Elisette Cardoso album I mentioned before, I didn't mention her name, but she was the one who first recorded Chega de Sodaje. Vai minha tristeza e diz a ele que sem ele não pode ser. In 1958, and then Joao recorded it the year after that. Joao kind of was, he kind of was the poster boy in that regard, because again, I mentioned he was not a composer. So a lot of these huge hits in Bossa Nova were written by a piano player named Antonio Carlos Jobim. And Jobim and Gilberto collaborated together with Stan Getz in the U.S. in the early 60s on a very famous Grammy-winning, one of the best-selling jazz albums of all time uh, called Getz Gilberto. And that's where Girl from Ipanema comes from. Jobim wrote that tune. Moça do corpo dourado, do sol de Ipanema, o seu balançado é mais que um poema. É a coisa mais linda que eu já vi passar. But Jobim's influence uh, is absolutely huge because basically what they took is they took Brazilian traditional folk music, they took Brazilian 
you know, what was popular at the time, samba, and mixed it with uh, American jazz and the harmonies of jazz. And something about that, it just, it changed jazz forever because of the popularity of that Getz Gilberto album. I mean, everybody was creating, everybody was recording Bossa Nova albums after that, like everybody. And I mean, there were so many musicians who were tremendously influenced by Brazilian music, even if they were American, you know, like vibraphonist Cal Jader or pianist Vince Guaraldi. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on of American musicians who ended up being really gripped by these Brazilian sounds. So the influence was was absolutely huge. Um, so let's go ahead and listen to some of that Getz Gilberto album. When you say gripped, that's great too, because it did really grip people, you know, like Glue Glue has gripped a lot of people that maybe natural wine is too much for them, like when it's cray-cray and totally off the rocker. And Glue Glue tends to be a, like everybody just agrees that it's good, you know? So even if people, I, I imagine people are not familiar with Bossa Nova, they hear it and it transports them to this relaxing, easy yep. place. Yep, very chill, very laid back. So Stan Getz was from Philly, but very much a West Coast kind of laid back saxophonist. At times, too, he could bop with the best of them as well. But um, but let's go ahead and listen to just a, a couple different tracks off of this Getz Gilberto album from 1964. <música> Prefiro viver tão sozinho ao som do lamento do meu violão. Doralice, eu bem que lhe disse: olha esse embrulhado em que vou me meter. Minimal percussion, nylon string guitar in the background, and Joao just singing on top. I have to say that his voice, too, is like if it were someone else singing. You know, it could sound just as great, yeah. but his voice is perfect. Well, I mean, there's a super famous quote from Miles Davis, actually, that basically is like, he would sound amazing if he read the newspaper. And it's something like that. You can almost never find it written the same way twice, but it's something that Miles Davis said about how if okay. Joao Gilberto read the newspaper, it would still sound absolutely wonderful. Wow. Yeah. And then if he was like, the world is blowing up now, yeah. it's, it'd still sound beautiful, even though it's awful and news yeah. of the times, whether it was yesteryear or today. Right. Now, was there anybody that you know of, whether they can be named or not, that besides, like, uh, you know, was there anybody in music that was like, I don't like that. I don't like that there's a sax in there with these this simple theme. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there are purists. Assholes, but I yeah, mean, okay. I mean, there must be purists. I would never say never. But I mean, it, this is just a really excellent example of how the worlds combined, mm-hmm. you know, the jazz world and the bossa nova world and how they were just really meant for each other, honestly. Wow. I mean, it's, it's just so, so beautiful and chill. Thank you. 
on this album, Antonio Carlos Jobim does play piano on this album. Uh, Joao's wife at the time, Astrid Gilberto, is the one who sang Girl From Ipanema. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Well, what I, I love, too, is as we're talking about these, I love how much these themes are joining up because, you know, you were saying that it really is the converging of two two different genres of music in a perfect yep. way. Yeah. And that's something that I think when it's done right, Glue Glue can be. Because some argue that Glue Glue is sort of like, you know, it, it you can't really tell even tell what grape it is because that carbonic maceration, you know, decreases tannins so much and decrease and adds all these like flowery, fun, floral esters. And some people say that that like decreases varietal correctness, right? Like being able to tell that this is Trollinger. Okay, a grape. Now, that's not to say that Andy Knaus, we're drinking a wine from him, who he works in the Württemberg in southern Germany. And this is from the Trollinger grape. Now, that's not to say that he's used carbonic maceration here, but a lot of people do in the world of wine and making glue glue. There are people that argue that that obviously straight, that varietal correctness, you erase that with all of those things, right? And other people say, well, it's more fun and it's delicious and whatever. And I think... The converging for me is when you of of these themes is like when you can have something that's bright and delicious and pure, but that also tastes like Trollinger. And I think that Andy Knaus, this wine for me is on the verge of maybe being a little bit non-Trollinger, but it is Trollinger at its core. And if you've had a lot of Trollinger, also known as Schiava in northern Italy, it tastes like this. It's kind of stern. It's a little bit kind of reserved in some way and a little bit hard-hearted, you know. It, it never is like a fully giving grape. Um, and at the same time, it always has like pretty, it's kind of a tannic grape and acidic um, with a lot of red fruit esters. And I think this does taste like that, you know, even though it's made in a very gulpable fashion, you know, it's obviously very crowd-pleasing. Yeah. So now I'm going to go on to the positives of Glue Glue. Yes. Right? You know, when it's varietally correct, I think that's cool. When I, you know, I'm paying for Trollinger, I'm not paying to get, I mean, me. Per, this is me personally, right? I'm not paying to drink a liter of wine by myself. <laughs> I'm paying to taste Trollinger and have something that's light and delicious. Mm-hmm. So I want it to taste like that. I like when you buy Glue Glue, you know, it's going to be easy drinking and I could buy it just as much for you and share it with you as I could for my brother, for my mom who doesn't like wine. She'd probably be like, great, this is delicious. (laughs) Maybe not, mom. But I mean, probably. You probably like it. They're usually a little bit more inexpensive. I mentioned that before, a, a decent value. And, you know, the lower alcohol piece is definitely, this is 11%. You know, if, if people are going to drink a half a liter It's not half a liter them at 15% alcohol. Not a good idea. And in some cases, it's terroir for less money, meaning that concept of being able to taste where it comes from. There's a really cool Boutanche label that is from a producer in southern Beaujolais. And it couldn't be from anywhere else. If you know the world of wine, you're like, holy shit. It's like dark, gamay, rich, very different soils, um, and it's just super, super cool. So the negatives, some people would say, is that it lacks terroir. It doesn't taste like where. So you're paying this money kind of just to drink, and that you know is is not a bad thing. Yeah. I'm not going to judge, but I, to me, I don't usually want that. So that's kind of in the eye of the beholder, right? Mm-hmm. I do think that the concept of a 750 of wine, a normal bottle of wine, 750 milliliters. 25.4 ounces, that is, not being enough for two people. I think that's probably true in some cases. 
but not being enough. So leaders better, right? But not yeah. being enough for one person. I mean, I think it's kind of promoting, you know, the natural wine world can already have its issues with <laughs> drinking. And I, I think that that's maybe going a little bit, but that's neither, <laughs> neither here nor there. I, I want to talk more about La Boutanche and Litrona and the concept behind these style of wines in a moment. But can we just have a little more music to yeah. ease us into that? Absolutely. We'll go ahead and listen to uh, a little bit. Well, let's listen to another tune from that Gets Gilberto album, for one thing, because as I said, I mean, Antonio Carlos Jobim wrote so many famous tunes that when you, let's say you want to hear, you know, somebody like an American saxophonist like Joe Henderson play Bossa Nova. I mean, he's got a whole Art Antonio Carlos Jobim tribute album. There are so many Jobim tribute, tribute albums out there that play these songs that arguably Joao Gilberto made more famous than even Antonio Carlos Jobim could make them. So it's just this funny, really sweet relationship of uh, Gilberto being this, the literally the voice of these songs. So let's go ahead and hear one called Desafinado. Se você disser que eu desafino amor Saiba que provoca imensa dor Só privilegiados têm ouvido igual ao seu Eu possuo apenas o que Deus me deu Se você insiste em classificar There's definitely stand-up bass on this track. Eu mesmo mentindo devo argumentar One of the other really important things that Joao Gilberto did when he sang is that he would move the melody around and not quite play, sing things on the beat they were supposed to be, quote unquote, and so he was always kind of messing with you, and we'll hear that uh, a little bit later in the show, but... I love that one. It's just a little... You and I have talked about this in the show before, where, where someone comes in, whether it's on a note, whether they're playing the note or singing, where it's just a little late. Yeah. Um... Yes, all yes. day. Late me, all day. Só não poderá falar assim do meu amor. Ele é o maior que você pode encontrar. We'll just stick with this till Stan Stan's saxophone comes in. percussion happening, whether it's in the form of a stand-up bass, the ride cymbal, the snare. It's not just, you know, the snare. Yeah. My final just 
contribution to this episode is to talk about the people that when you said, you know, that Joao Gilberto literally did make some of these songs more famous than than Jobim. Antonio Carlos Jobim. Yeah, is like Glugu has been around for kind of a while, you know, in, in wine, in natural wine. I mean, they've been making light, refreshing, easy drinking wines for decades. And in natural wine, of course, as well, right? Most of them natural. And in this case, that concept wasn't really for the masses. And until an importer called Selection Massal decided, wow, I have this producer in Germany and these two or three or four producers in France that every year we go, we taste all their complex shit. It's all expensive and delicious or medium expensive. And wow, there's that tank of that stuff. (laughs) Can you just bottle all that for us and we'll put a slap a label on it and you have to look at the back label to know what it is. But you look at the front label and there's these different like little animal whatever all like this one has looks like a damn grasshopper with seven um, bottles of wine in its hand. But it they all have these so a different icon, right? But it, they all say La Boutanche. Mm-hmm. And you you know that that is they have decided, hey, France Salmon, awesome, Chenin Blanc and et al., Loire winemaker, Andy Knaus in Germany, Olivier Minot in Beaujolais. You guys all make incredible wine. Can you just bottle that for us? We'll put a La Boutanche sticker on it. That sends the message to the world, well, the United States, because they import to the United States, that this is Glulu. And then everybody goes, wow, this liter is, you know, between 19 and $21 and it's a liter and it's flipping delicious. Yeah. Andy Knaus does a Riesling, a dry Riesling like this. And you immediately know what to expect because they've created a culture of people that normally may not know what Google is to know about it, but also it's a concept that is stretching beyond borders and beyond, you know, certain producers. So you just... It's sort of like you go and and you're like, I'm in the mood for a La Boutanche. And it's like, well, there are six in the shop. Which (laughs) one do you want? Now, a Spanish importer by the name of Selections de la Viña came up with a Spanish concept that's very similar, Mm. Litrona. So you hear Litrona and you think, me, having lived in Spain and know Spain well, I think of when you were like a high schooler or a college person and you were going to go party and you couldn't afford booze. Everybody went and they went in on like a few liters of beer and you had a litrona. You would go share the liters of beer. And so they decided to call their wine, their boutanche style project, litrona. So you see litrona, they have weird icons. (laughs) And then if you look in the fine print, it'll tell you the grape. And then you can kind of start to decipher, oh, that might be from that producer or that producer. But in the end, it's like, oh, this is... $30, so a little bit more expensive. They actually are made in a lot more of a natural vein than Boutanche in the fact that supposedly none of them are filtered, no sulfur added. Nice. But they all had this concept of like, wow, I normally have to pay $35 for this Albarino from this amazing producer. This is even sometimes even more interesting and delicious and chug, chug, chug me. (laughs) And and I get a liter of it for less money. And the same with the other producers, right? Like he's, they, one of them makes a sumol and one of them makes a tempranillo. So it's a concept that you you start to kind of shift the consumer's direction of like, I'm in the mood for a Sauvignon Blanc. I'm in the mood for a Rioja. In the end, they start, you know, some people can be like, wow, I just want something that is maybe a little bit bigger format, refreshing as hell, and a little bit less expensive. 
and what what do you have for me? You yeah. know, um, which is really really cool. So I appreciate that. I mean, I I sometimes I want a little bit more varietal correctness from certain producers that do that, but in in these cases, um, they're delicious and they're fun and they're priced right. I sure enjoy it. Speaking of value, yeah, becoming a patron of Scores and Pours is a huge value. Why? Yeah, because we're <laughs> awesome. A, we're awesome. You learn about music that you don't hear often. You you hear a lot if you look for it, but yeah. you have to you know search for it. Um, so we bring it to you. We bring you, you know, information on awesome wines and beers and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you also, of course, you get patron only content, which includes those things and recipes that Emily and I partake in, sometimes failures, most (laughs) of the time successes, and those successes we bring to you along with a wine and food pairing, those are uh, for all tiers. And in some cases, if you're going to pony up a little more money, you get some free merch sent to you, which is really cool. We couldn't do this without our patrons. So thank you f- to all of you who currently, you know, support Scores and Pours. And for those of you who can't, this is our gift to you. Uh, we love doing it. So thank you for listening. And for those that are contemplating, please do. Because Emily and I drinking out of the bottle, the glue glue, could not happen <laughs> if it weren't for our, our patrons. Yeah. We've also, if you just want some merch, you can go that route as well. Uh, you can just head head to the Patreon page. There's a link there that'll take you to our merch, which is hoodies and tees and corkscrews and stickers. Find us on Instagram and Twitter at Scores and Pours. You can DM us, send us your show ideas or questions or comments. We'd love to hear from you. And it would be so amazing if you could give us a rating where you listen to our podcasts. It's unbelievable how helpful that is. So if you could take just a few minutes out of your time, give us a hopefully five-star rating, that'd be absolutely wonderful. And you're, so you're probably on the screen already. So if you, you know, you're going to do the rating thing, that takes a whole 20 seconds and becoming a patron on patreon.com slash scores and pours takes, you know, if you re- memorize your credit card number, <laughs> it takes uh, maybe three minutes. Yeah. And if you don't, it takes five. So it's pretty fast, yeah. Is there anything you don't like about this wine? No, literally no. Mm. Yeah. Sometimes I wish it didn't have alcohol in it so that I really could just chug it. Yeah. But other than that, there's nothing I don't like about this wine. What's well, a nice, that's an argument for wine in general, right? Like sometimes people say, Jill, if wine didn't have the alcohol, would you like it as much? And I think my answer is twofold. no. Because, but it's because it makes you need to have a limit. Yeah. And I'm a person of limits. I like to test them, but I also like to respect them. Mm-hmm. And so this is, you know, wine, you have to kind of be careful with it. And yeah. I like that about it. Yeah. Enough about me. All right. This is Joao singing from that 1973 album again. And this is another really famous tune that um, Antonio Carlos Jobim wrote called Waters of March. That's the English title. And... It's got absolutely beautiful lyrics. It's actually a really kind of melancholic song, but if you're familiar with the tune, he really places the melody all over in, in this, and it's, it's kind of fun. But, um, but yeah, let's listen to him sing Waters of March. É peroba do campo, nó da madeira, caingá, candeia, uma tita pereira. É madeira de vento, tombo da ribanceira, é o um mistério profundo, queiro 
I'm going to drink out of the bottle because that's what Glue Glue <laughs> and this song are all about. Just kidding. Coba Maybe not Coba Den. Just drinking from the bottle every Oh, so am I. And I might have fibbed a little because there is one more thing I want to play for you. But. Just the tiniest bit of percussion in the background. Just to give a little just a symbol. Just a little hi-hat. Projeto da casa, o corpo na cama, o carro enguiçado, é a lama, é a lama. Um passo, uma ponte, um sapo, uma rama, um resto de mato, na luz da mão. I don't know how he does that. I don't, I don't know how he can sing so far ahead of where it's supposed to be while he's playing guitar. That amazes me. It's really amazing. Wait, the way he's moving the melody around. Genius. Yeah, pretty great. There is one more tune I want to play for you, and I just forgot to add it to the playlist uh, and it's an album that he did in Tokyo in the early 2000s just him on the stage with a guitar and it's absolutely fantastic if you're able to find it and so let's just listen to him sing one more time in Tokyo on stage só tenho medo da falseta mas adoro a Julieta como adoro a papai de céu quero seu amor minha santinha mas só não quero que me faça de bolinha de papel tiro você do emprego do well, thank you, Emily Reese, for this convergence of themes, because this has been a lovely summer addition to Scores and Pours, to our oeuvre, as it were. Just kidding. <laughs> and what a pleasure. So thanks for the music. And thanks for the glue-glue. Cheers. To Scores and Pours. Discourse and pours. Rosa Morena, onde vais, Morena Rosa? Thank you for listening to this episode of Scores and Pours with Jill Mott and Emily Reese. You'll find a wine list and a playlist, and you can support us financially, which we would just absolutely appreciate, at patreon.com slash scoresandpours. And there's a link there if you want to get some uh, Scores and Pours merch, like a hoodie or a t-shirt or a corkscrew. We are on Instagram and Twitter at Scores and Pours. Consider supporting the musicians we featured today by buying their music. Edited by Emily Reese and Jill Mott. Our producer is Mr. Samuel Keenan. Scores and Pours is a production of June Media Inc. Oh, Rosa, que o pessoal tá cansado de esperar. Morena, Rosa.